Uh, it's good to be with you. Uh, even in this, in this wild moment, even getting to be with you this way feels great. Uh, and what a dumpster fire this year has been. Uh, I know, I know for me, uh, and for so many folks I know, I'm sure for you, even in the normal rhythms of the excitement of a new year, so many of us are already tired and exhausted and nervous, anxious about the future. Um, we don't know who to trust, a lot of us. We don't know what the world will look like after the global pandemic is over. And if all of that wasn't bad enough, it's an election year. Like it's just a weird moment. It's a totally weird moment. Um, I, I am comforted and I'm encouraged by the fact that Jesus does not ask us to be okay with the way that the world currently is. He does not ask us to reconcile ourselves to the way that the world currently is. He has invited us to participate in a different vision of the world, a redeemed vision of the world. The world set right and us set upright in it. And right now, with so much of this world buckled and broken and bent, I wonder if this moment is, is an absolutely incredibly opportune moment to hear his invitation again. For some of us, maybe for the first time, and for the, for the rest of us, uh, to hear it afresh, to hear it in a new way. You may know this already, uh, but Jesus began his ministry with these words. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. These are, the, these are the words that come off of his lips as he begins his public ministry in our world. And, and repent means to have a total change of mind and then to act accordingly. It means something like turn around, like change what you're thinking and doing and go in the other direction. So if um, I'm lamenting some things that I, I think will be coming, so forgive this uh, metaphor for, for a minute, but, um, but it's a good metaphor. If you are a Pittsburgh Steelers fan, you repent would mean that you, you change your mind about the Pittsburgh Steelers and that you turn around and you have an, another thought about the better team, the best team in the NFL, and that you actually have actions and behaviors that turn around with it. So if I were to say repent of being a Steelers fan, it would actually mean that you stop being a Steelers fan and begin to be a fan of something else. This is what repent means. That's a good metaphor, maybe worth following, but I'm talking about Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount and he says repent. I feel like I have to go into that a little bit because we don't use that word much in our culture. It's just kind of used in church world stuff. And it might be loaded with some baggage for some of us. When Jesus uses that word, it means there's change your mind and do something new. And he says that before he says this, because the kingdom of heaven is near. There's a change that's possible. There's a new set of behaviors that are now possible. There's a new vision of the world that's come in and through me. And because of that, you can change. This is what Jesus says when he, when he begins to do his public ministry. He invited people to repent, to change. And when it seems like, and I think we're all able to grasp this, when it seems like everything's humming along, like when I've got a $5 cup of coffee and my iPhone's working, I'm not interested in repentance often. Like everything seems to be working fine. And when somebody says change, it feels like disruption that I don't want. But in a global pandemic, like when, when none of us are getting enough hugs and we've got like the candidates that we have for president this year, maybe we're like a little more down for change, you know, uh, than normal. And so maybe we're more open to an invitation to repent and to receive a different kind of kingdom. This is a unique moment in history. And I'm expectant that the gracious and loving God has something unique for us in this moment. 
And I think that begins with us saying yes to his invitation. So this semester, we're going to be walking through something called the Sermon on the Mount. It's, uh, it's from the first book in the New Testament. It's called Matthew, the Gospel According to Matthew. And we're going to be looking at chapters 5 through 7. That's what's called the Sermon on the Mount. And like I said, Jesus had just begun his public ministry. He's performing miracles, which incidentally are as rare in his day as they are in our own. He's performing these miracles, um, and crowds were coming from surrounding towns to find out what this was all about. And he was casting out demons and healing people who were sick. And all the while that he was doing this, he was telling them about the kingdom of God. And it's interesting, maybe, uh, maybe you haven't heard this or haven't picked this up if you've read the gospel accounts in the Bible, but the thing Jesus talks about most is the kingdom of God. This is the thing he spoke about most often, this new kingdom, which is arriving and is available to to the crowds of people around him, that it's available to them now in Jesus, in himself. And Matthew chapters 5 through 7 is this summary of what the kingdom of God is like and what the people of that kingdom are like. And I commend to you this passage of scripture is an absolute goldmine. It's one of the seminal passages in all of the Bible. It's worth meditating on. It's worth being familiar with. It's worth spending time with. It is a great summary of what the kingdom of God is like, what this king is like, what he's offering for the world. And and friends, I, I mean, maybe that's not obvious. I hope it is. I want you to say yes to Jesus. I want you to know that his invitation is as fresh for you today as it was 2,000 years ago to those crowds. And that the kingdom of God is available to you in Jesus Christ. And I want you to see what the kingdom is like in the way that we teach on Tuesdays, but I also want you to see what God's kingdom is like in our leadership, in our staff, in, in in the senior students or older students involved in this ministry. I want you to see God's kingdom at work as we begin to teach through it and and read it this semester and you begin to get a picture of what God's kingdom is like. I hope you see that reflected in the lives of people here. And I want you to consider whether what Jesus is offering is better than any of the kingdoms of this, than what any of the kingdoms of this world are offering. And I want you to say yes. Lord Jesus, would you make it so? So when Jesus begins talking about his kingdom, He begins with uh, what Toby read. He begins with listing these blessings. It's an interesting campaign speech. You know, it's an interesting strategy. Uh, He he begins talking about his kingdom. He comes up on the side of this mountain and the crowds have gathered near him and he pulls his disciples a little bit closer and he begins to open his mouth and teach them in this kind of formal way. And it's it's his uh, campaign speech about his kingdom. And these blessings, like Toby mentioned, are often called the Beatitudes. And to help these sink in, I want you to do something with me. So, I think the words like blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That simultaneously sounds beautiful and also almost so abstract and so other to the way that we think that it's hard to let something like that sink in. I once uh, heard somebody say that it's impossible to read a poem both quickly and well. And I think that's probably the same about something like the Beatitudes. It takes a minute for these to sink in. People have meditated their entire lives on them. And it's, it's so strange what Jesus says. The blessed people at the beginning of this speech that he gives about his kingdom. And so to help us kind of have that sink in, I want to read a, kind of a translation of the Beatitudes of this section. And, and I'm really just riffing off of a hero of mine um, or an intellectual hero of mine named Dallas Willard. 
Um, he was trying to translate these, these beatitudes into more contemporary language, like street level language for us. And I basically took a lot of what he had to say and kind of riffed with it. Um, I want to read this to you in kind of a, a more of a fresh way to help you understand what Jesus says about his kingdom. And for some of us, as we hear this, some of us might be feel really called out, like not in a bad way, like in a sense that, oh my gosh, is the kingdom really for me? And others of us might hear this and go, man, that is crazy that Jesus would say that those people are blessed. I don't normally think that those people are blessed. So as I read this, I want you to listen and I want you to, to if, you, if you can maybe, or if it helps you close your eyes and try to imagine this, that in Jesus's kingdom, these people are blessed. Here we go. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Those who just can't believe. The spiritually bankrupt or deficient. Those for whom faith is difficult. Who have such a poverty of spirit that they can hardly imagine that God would be for them. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. The written off the sat upon, spat upon, and ratted on, the deserted ones and forgotten ones, the ones with broken hearts, the ones who are weeping. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek, the shy ones, the intimidated, the unassertive, the mild ones, the, the ones who would make room on the sidewalk for other people to pass them, and then they hop back on. The quiet ones, blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. The ones who burn with a desire for things to be made right. The ones who've suffered such wrongs that, that they lose sleep, consumed with longing for justice. It may be that the wrong is within themselves. The ones who failed so badly and inwardly screamed to be made right. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful, the ones who are taken advantage of, the ones who don't repay evil, the ones who never see justice and who are looked at in our culture as weak or naive. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart, the ones for whom nothing is good enough. I feel a little called out by this one. The perfectionists who are a pain to everyone, <laughs> themselves most of all. The miserable ones who find faults in everyone and everything. The ones who demand Jesus wash his hands even though they weren't dirty. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers, the ones who never take anyone's side. The ones who are always in the middle. The ones whom no one trusts because they're always looking at everybody's sides. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, the ones whose lives are ruined for refusing to be compliant with what is wrong. The ones who suffer in ways that no laws can protect them from. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. And blessed are you when others persecute you because of Jesus. You who are taking this faith thing a little too far. You who aren't moderate. You who aren't you who are all in for Jesus and you suffer because of it and probably suffer most of your persecution from religious people. Blessed are you when others persecute you 
because of Jesus? This is how Jesus begins talking about his kingdom. And I want you to note two things. First, none of these categories, any of us who are listening to this, anybody who reads this, none of these categories are categories of people that we normally think of as blessed. We think the rich are blessed, whether that's in wealth or in faith. We think folks who have it are blessed, right? Not folks with lack. Blessed are the ones who are laughing. Those are the ones that are blessed, not the ones who mourn. The powerful and proud are blessed, not the meek. And we don't bless, we don't think the peacemakers are blessed. We think the people who win are blessed. This is the norm in the kingdoms of this world. But in Jesus's kingdom, he begins to share that in his kingdom, all of these people who we normally think of are as deprived of blessing. He pronounces blessing upon them. Second, none of them are blessed because of their condition. None of them are blessed because of their condition. So the person who's poor in spirit isn't blessed. This is a loaded sentence. They aren't blessed because of the poverty of their spirit. The the person who's poor isn't blessed because they're poor. They're blessed because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Those who mourn aren't blessed because they mourn. They're blessed because they will be comforted. Those who, are, those who are pure in heart aren't blessed because of the purity of their heart. They're blessed because they'll see God. This is so important, friends, because we are so stinking good at creating systems of how we think we can earn God's, like, our way into God's favor. We're so good at setting up these hierarchies of sorts. That, like, if I do these things, then God will like me. And if I do these things or don't do certain things, then God won't like me. And maybe it doesn't play out just like that. But you look out at the world at other people and you think, well, God must like them because of these things. And God must not like me because of these things. We're so good at this. And Jesus does not kick off that he doesn't inaugurate the teaching about his kingdom with with this homework assignment on how to become a good citizen in God's kingdom. This isn't how he starts his speech with with like a a moral to-do list. You think it's the rich who get in. I tell you what. If you can become poor, then you're blessed. Friends, Jesus is preaching to a crowd where there are people who are already poor and believe that this kingdom cannot possibly be for them. But he's healing sick and he's casting out demons and he's doing miracles in the midst of a world that's dying away. Maybe there's a chance I could get crumbs from his table. And he opens his mouth and I think I'm in in line with my head down coming in through the back door. I'll take scraps, Jesus. And here he's, the spotlight shines right on the people whom we would think are in the back row. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What about those of us who are really rich in spirit? Jesus is not making a new to-do list, creating a new category of morality for you. You don't need to go mourn to be blessed. You don't need to go seek out suffering for God to approve you. That's not what this list is about. So what's it about? It's about the availability of God's kingdom blessings for everyone. That the blessings of his kingdom are not far from any one of us. If you're watching this with people in the same room as you, God's kingdom is available to each and every one of you. If the poor in spirit can be blessed, then that means there's hope for me and there's hope for you. Jesus is showing off how generous 
His kingdom is. And if you hear him right, it blows open the doors of possibilities for us. When I was 17 years old, God brought this man into my life named Chris. And Chris, Chris had worked for this uh, ministry called Young Life. Some of you may know it. And um, he, he invited me to go to these Young Life things. And I, I, didn't, I, I didn't like the clubs because I always felt like I wasn't cool enough. <laughs> I wasn't cool enough. And, um, uh, and I was scared to talk to girls and, you know, whatever, all those things. Still, I'm scared to talk to girls. And um, he invited me to go to Bible studies, but I didn't want to go to Bible studies because I didn't know the Bible and I was intimidated about these other guys that would be there um, who were really cool in the school that I was in, the high school I was in. Um, and so mostly what I did is I did yard work with Chris two days a week, um, but it wasn't long. So I met him when he was 23, my junior year of high school. And by my senior year, um, when Chris had turned 24, he was diagnosed with cancer. And within a few months, he died. And this all happened right at this moment that I was really starting to take serious these questions about what does it mean to live a good life? What does it mean to be a good man? What does it mean for me to, to I'm, I'm about to go to college. I'm, I'm, I'm going to start over with friendships and romance. And, and I'm about to leave my family of origin. My family's kind of all over the place. So my family's of origins, I guess. Um, what does it look like for me to start over? I'm asking all these questions. And I'll tell you guys something that's really crazy. Like I never had it in any plan that I made up in my head about what does it mean to live a good life? All of my plans assumed a long life. Like every single one. Like what does it mean to live a good life? Well, first of all, a long one, you know. And, and this guy died at 24 years old. And he had a kind of joy and peace and kindness. I mean, there are moments seared into my memory of unexplainable kinds of generosity. He wasn't irritated. He wasn't, he, it was, it was I, I couldn't explain it. It messed with my grid because this is what happened. Like as I'm thinking, what does it mean to live a good life? And here Chris is dying at 24 and it's apparent to me that he's living a good life. And he, he lived, before I graduated high school, he had finished living his good life. And if it was possible for Chris to live a good life and die at 24, maybe I don't need to live a whole, a whole long while to live a good life. And so maybe I don't need what I think I need to live a good life. Gosh, what if the possibilities for a good life are right in front of me? What if Chris just blew open the, the, the doors of possibilities for me in terms of what it means to be a good man and live a good life? So maybe that's a bit abstract for you guys who are a bit tough. Some of you have been like on mission trips or, um, or familiar, maybe you yourself came from conditions which look very different than, uh, than, than the conditions most college students live on this campus and in this city, even in the midst of a global pandemic. I remember um, spending two weeks, straight, it just sounds kind of crazy. I remember spending two weeks on a leper colony in Thailand. And friends, talk about isolation um, and, and quarantine. There, I mean, it's literally a colony that was built four hours from any major city to keep them away from everybody. Because even though it, it's a communicable disease, but it's really hard to get it through contact, people are so scared of it that they, they, they put all these people in one space and made them live there forever. And it was so impoverished. Matter of fact, the colony was made up of like um, people who were older than 60 and little kids because all the, the people in the middle were in, in Bangkok working to make money to send back because there was no government help either for these people. It was, this, it was this weird, destitute kind of place, and yet in the middle of it, 
These followers of Jesus who were lepers had joy. And I went, if joy is possible for them, what does that mean for me? You see, the invitation isn't for me to become a leper or to die at 24. It just messes with my grid and begins to change the, what I think the possibilities are. Do you understand what I'm getting at? It means that maybe I don't need what I think I need to experience a good life, to have joy or peace or, or comfort or whatever. When Jesus is inaugurating his kingdom teaching by sharing that he brings blessings to the poor in spirit, what that means is that none of us are left out. That's what it means. It means that nothing is strong enough to keep you from the blessings of God's kingdom. It means that your history, your stubbornness, your failures, your rebellions, all the times you've cheated, all the times you've been left out or not been good enough by this world's standards, none of those things mean you're left out of God's kingdom. He's telling us about these blessings to show us that his invitation is for everyone. No matter your history or your family or your decisions, in Jesus Christ, friends, the blessings of God's kingdom are available to you. And my hope is that this year you discover real life in Jesus Christ and in his kingdom for the first time or more than ever before. And I, I hope we get to do some of that together. Um, so I want you to join us this semester as we, uh, as we sit at the feet of the Lord who's over all things, even now, as he, as he talks about what his kingdom is like and he invites us to take part of it. This kingdom which has drawn near to us in and through the Son, Jesus Christ. And I want you to join me in saying yes to him and to his kingdom. And let's see what God has in store for us in this particular moment. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, which means that it can be our kingdom too. Pray with me. Father, I, um, I, I believe in Jesus. Uh, I don't yet believe all the things Jesus believes. But I'm thankful, Lord, that in the midst of, uh, of a world that was unkind to those who are poor, those who are merciful, those who mourn, those who fight for peace, that when you begin to teach, you tell them that in your kingdom, those forgotten people, those overlooked people are blessed. Lord, I don't think any of those people are, are more blessed by our world today. I'm thankful that your kingdom still stands as an invitation today. I pray right now in this moment that you would send your spirit, that whatever it is that keeps any of us from believing that we can be full participants in your kingdom blessings, that, you, it, that, that whatever in us resists believing, that you would pour out the resources of your kingdom for us. I pray that you would break down those walls and you would help us to say yes to you in this moment when it's a little bit easier maybe for us because right now it's a little more apparent for us that the world's not okay as it is and that even the normal six months ago wasn't okay as it was but that we need something better and i pray that we, that, that we would uh, lean into the opportunities of this moment to see a little bit clearer and to say yes to you 
Lord, thank you for your generosity. I thank you that the kingdom that you bring and are bringing is better than any political candidate will offer. It's better than any parents have ever offered us. It's better than any institution like a school has offered us. I thank you for the promises of your kingdom and for who those promises are for. And would you right now help us all to believe that it's for us. In Jesus' name I pray. We pray. Amen. Amen and amen.